The big question is, can faith in medicine and faith in American government ever be restored? You're listening to Dr. Steve LaTulip on America Out Loud Talk Radio. The show is unity without compromise. And as always on this program, my goal is simply to unite people for the good of the people. And that can only happen if we have a standard upon which to unite and a mindset of avoiding compromise to the full extent that is humanly possible. Today, I have joining me as a special guest, Dr. Robert Lowry, who is both a physician, he's a very serious student of American history, he is an author and an active patriot who is not only speaking about restoring America, but he's actually taking action and doing something about it. Dr. Lowry practices medicine in Texas as an independent physician. He has authored a book called Recovering American Liberty, Rediscovering the Principles of Just Government. Dr. Lowry is a graduate of George Washington University Med School in DC, and he has completed a residency in general surgery. He also has a master's degree in neurophysiology. He recently has been affiliated with USA Boxing, and he's involved in traumatic brain injury, concussion work. He has treated hundreds of COVID patients in the last two years, and that includes prophylaxing or prevention uh, of COVID uh, symptoms, and he does treat long haulers. Presently, he is actually doing something else. He's running for Congress in, uh, in the Texas 21st District. And that takes some doing. Dr. Lowry, I welcome you and I thank you for joining me today. All right. Well, thanks for having me on, Steve. Good talking to you again. Thank you. And uh, could you just uh, tell me one thing, uh, Robert? I, I actually thought that the title of your book was very catchy, Recovering American Liberty. Um, does that actually mean that you believe we have already lost our freedom? Yes, I believe we've already given up most of our liberties and rights that God gave us, and that this has been happening over the past couple generations. We've been, as a people, allowing what was our basis and our original worldview of that Judeo-Christian understanding of the world and the universe to essentially go away to now giving to Caesar what is actually God's. And now the Caesars in DC and at every state house have been more than willing to take our rights and essentially ignore them and violate them. And for argument's sake, a lot of us have just been sitting there letting it happen. But now with COVID, I think a few more people have woken up to it. I wrote the book originally when kind of the Tea Party was becoming a thing and people were waking up then to the overreach of government. And I had realized a lot of folks I was talking to were rediscovering or noticing the constitution and that things perhaps were not operating according to that. But I realized a lot of them didn't actually understand the basis of the principles by which the constitution is supposed to be read in the first place. So they were still willing to let government do a lot of things that ought not be doing, or they're looking to government for activities that really should be done in your family or by yourself or in your home or in other institutions that would be charitable, let's say. Can you describe some of those activities, Robert? What, what are you referring to? Well, well, let's take healthcare because both 
us being physicians. Essentially, the federal government at this point has taken over the healthcare world in, in the United States by one way or another. It started somewhat with how we tax ourselves, the government then taking in monies and then distributing those to people so they can go purchase their health care. Well, now the government's just paying for it directly and you just go get it. Well, that's gradually taken on a position now where if you're on Medicare, let's say, you can't just go to any doctor you want to go to and go get your care and make that contract with that doctor of what they're going to do for you or what you're going to pay them or what have you and keep the market forces involved. You now, as we've seen, are limited. You can't even go to work or you can't go shopping if you don't have this particular vaccine. Well, that's a right of your own body and your own person, your life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that essentially people were waking up and realizing something's amiss here, but they didn't even really know what was amiss because as you've probably had, you've had folks come to you and say, can you write me an excuse so I don't have to get this vaccine? Well, my argument to them the first few months was, oh. I shouldn't have to write this excuse because you have a right not to take it in the first place. Why, by writing the excuse, are you not giving to some authority a, a position they don't have? Yeah, uh, you know, I agree with you so much. There, there are, for example, in Oregon right now, you know, there's been a lot of pushback, especially with kids in school uh, regarding the mask. And in Oregon right now, uh, the kids themselves are fighting this. And uh, so they're, uh, Kate Brown is having to back down a little bit. She is an absolute Marxist governor who is determined to destroy Oregon on commits. And what she has actually done is said, okay, we're going to allow people that have received the jab to not wear the mask, but uh, you have to now show uh, a, uh, a vaccine passport to get into any business in Oregon. And that starts, I believe, on March 8th. So there's a lot of tyranny going on, and I believe that there's no end to it. Um, and that is going to uh, lead to something very uncomfortable because I'm finding that more and more people are not willing to stand for that. And I think that even in Oregon, as liberal as it is there, I think people are saying they've had enough. Are you facing, uh, as a population there, any oppression still regarding this? Not to speak of. Um, our governor took a long time. In fact, he actually closed down businesses and things and made some mistakes, in my opinion, there at the beginning overreaching but we reacted to him pretty quickly and so it turned around fairly quickly for us now in the cities there are uh, maybe a hand, handful of cities here in texas still that the mayors are trying to make people do this but for the most part in texas i don't hardly run into anybody wearing a mask but i also don't go into the downtown areas Sure. It's a great idea to avoid all those businesses that want to enforce that on you. So, uh, Dr. Lowry, you are an independent physician practicing in a small town. I believe it's Bourne. Is that correct? In Texas? Yeah, it's pronounced Bernie, although it looks Bernie. like you would, okay, I you got would it. say Bourne. And, uh, okay, so this is kind of uh, maybe a silly question, but have you been persecuted personally in any way for actually treating COVID patients? And if so, um, what's happened to you? Well, I haven't, I've had people attempt 
to tell me what I ought to do, but I pretty much turned it around on them right away, and I've had no official notice from the board yet about what I've been doing. And I think in Texas, we're all pretty safe at this point, even though it was pretty questionable there through most of 21. Um, I know in some states like you, for example, um, I mean, you're, you're the classic example of this, of just an overreach of the board saying, we're going to politicize this care. We're going to politicize this uh, virus and you're going to do what we tell you. Otherwise we're going to take our, your license from you. Again, another issue of about that recovering American liberty and why we need licenses and this authority they think they have over us committing to our patients what we think is the best thing we can do for them. But directly, I'm a pretty tough guy and uh, I don't take a whole lot from people in the first place. Well, I think that's exactly the kind of physicians that we need. We have very few of them like you. Uh, I know personally of a, a couple of the of other physicians in Texas, actually, who were persecuted. One of them not related to COVID, but another one who was an ENT doc uh, out uh, that way in Eastern Texas, actually. Uh, received a lot of flack from the board, and I think it's an ongoing saga, but he is still doing his thing, treating patients, actually abiding by his oath faithfully to put the patient first. And that is absolutely a must, uh, because uh, if we don't do that, then absolutely medicine is lost. And I think that we could say right now that this Ponzi scheme that has destroyed America uh, and destroyed medicine in America specifically, um, it has been rampant. I mean, the, the entire medical field has been pirated and that probably comes from, you know, from uh, things like big pharma, just taking control of the CEOs. We've got the billionaire elites in the world who, uh, in my opinion, are truly trying to implement a great reset and they are using Using this, uh, the entire medical field as a vehicle to uh, to implement that globalist act, and it is in essence an act of treason and insurrection against the entire world. So, are, let me ask you: Are you actually guilty of spreading misinformation about masks <laughs> and, and the so-called vaccine and, and anything else contrary to the government narrative pertaining to COVID? Oh my gosh, I'm. I'm doing probably everything in antithesis of what the federal government has been advising all along here. I've told people since day one that those masks aren't doing anything for them other than keeping saliva off, you know, and, and describing to them, look, when I'm in the operating room, I'm wearing a mask to keep droplets from me getting into the wound site. Now, those are going to have bacteria and things on them, but we know dang well those weren't going to do anything for a virus. And in fact, back in the early days when I was training with uh, AIDS being a big issue back then, we actually wore what effectively looked like a spacesuit in order to keep the virus away. That little mask we knew wasn't going to do squat. Then as far as these medications, same thing. I'm, I guess I'm still continuing to be the dispenser of false information according to the government, but the question now is who's the one actually obviously spreading the false information? That's the government itself. In fact, they're now, they're, there's enough people awake now that are saying, wait a minute, now I, now I see what's going on. And they're 
finally, as a, as a people, I think, at least around the hinterlands of Texas, people are pretty aware that they can't trust our federal government right now at all. Well, I cannot disagree with you on that. There's, you know, the question is, uh, we are being absolutely accused of being uh, disinformers, misinformers, and it, we take the opposite uh, stance saying, no, it's our accusers who are actually the ones who are misinforming us. And so, okay, we've got a, a great number of people out there called the public. And as I saw with my patients, um, they all came into my clinic with a great big question mark on their forehead asking like, who's telling the truth? Who do I believe? And, you know, in my opinion, and this could be very quickly and easily resolved because the way I see it is if we are so blatantly mistaken about the science pertaining to coronavirus, as our accusers claim, then we actually should be very easy targets in an open debate on the subject. So why then do our accusers who call us misinformers absolutely refuse to debate us? I mean, this is the tricky thing because that would settle the issue, wouldn't it? It would, but they would know what the result of that would be. And that's why they continue to avoid it and moving the goalposts. Remember, it was going to be two weeks and then it was going to be a couple of weeks. And then, well, now it's a couple of years and they're still carrying on. Yeah, they don't want to debate the, the truth. Absolutely, they don't. And of course, Biden or the Biden regime. Now, I maintain that Biden is incapable cognitively of making any decisions or deciding anything. I sure wish we could find out who the chief puppeteer is, because that's who's doing the damage in America. But the Biden regime has just extended the emergency uh, orders, emergency declaration. And of course, we know everybody knows this is purely political. Uh, the question is, how do we attack it? If we cannot have an open debate and expose the truth, um, then how do we fight them? Because truth is their greatest fear. You know, our greatest fear as medical doctors is actually fear of the totally corrupt medical boards, the state medical boards, and perhaps the CEOs who, uh, who pay us uh, and who, who can nix us from hospital privileges and so forth. But the enemy is afraid of the truth. So if they're, and that's why they are trying to censor us, to shut us down. That's why they did all they could to make an example of me because I came out publicly and exposed their corruption, just called a spade a spade. And they, they couldn't have that. So um, obviously they had to shut me down. But um, how do we fight this? Well, there are several levels of the. I mean, we're in a cultural war and COVID just, I guess, shone the light on it to a, a broader group of people at this point. But we have corruption from top to bottom in our governments. And, and frankly, we have it in our, in our own hearts for a lot of us. You know, none of us are perfect, obviously, but we've become a people who generally trusted the government institutions to at least tell us the truth, even though they might be going down the wrong road. And now when we find out, or when a lot of folks are waking up to the fact that that's just not the case, there's attacking from the inside and attacking from outside. So we see the, the truckers, for example, up in Canada, trying to get attention from their government officials to make some sort of change. 
but we also have to work within it as long as we believe that it's not so corrupt that you can't get into it. Um, you know, like our ballot boxes, for example, if we don't believe that what we're voting for is actually coming to fruition, then that's a whole nother game we have to play like uh, our founding fathers did in their generation. In the meantime, though, there's a lot of ways we can go about this. And that's as physicians, we can excommunicate ourselves from a lot of these hospitals that were the woke hospitals. And without physicians, they won't have anybody to do their job. They need the physicians. Also getting politically active, not just you know, running for president, let's say, but all the way down to dog catcher. If the person in office is that more uh, socialist-minded person who thinks the office brings with it power and authority and not really the power and authority of the people, well, then you've got the wrong person there. And it will take two or three rounds of elections, I think, to get good people into office and change things. But Again, I, I've, I have a huge concern of the ballot box validity right now. So I don't well, know what I agree. to do about that. I agree with you. If we, if we cannot get control of the voter fraud, then um, I only see one other option to defeating that. And, and it goes back to uh, the, the year of 1776. But, <laughs> you know, you, you mentioned. You mentioned one thing, though, you know, you said uh, that we doctors can fight this by separating ourselves. Now, if you look across the board of, of all medical doctors across the US of A, uh, we see that we have maybe just a, a several hundred doctors who we would consider to be actually telling the truth and actually treating COVID patients early, just like we always did with viral infections. Now, what do you suppose ever happened to the noble profession. I mean, doctors take a sacred oath to always put the patient first. And now what do we see? We see just the opposite. How did we get here so fast? And what exactly destroyed our profession? How were so many doctors deceived so that, you know, the, the medical profession is not willing to stand up and tell the truth, uh, the best science. Oh, that again has been a long time coming. I think we're all just waking up to the fact that it's been here, but I mean, we can go back to Medicare when Medicare was originally thought of or passed. It was supposed to essentially just cover the payments for the elderly uh, and their hospital care and their, their bigger issues with healthcare. It wasn't going to pay for their vitamins and everything else. Nevertheless, you got to realize back in 65 when that started, there wasn't a whole lot of healthcare technology available to even have, and people weren't making it to past 68, 69 years old for the most part. Well, now we have MRIs, we have all these ways to treat cancer, we have all these ways to treat all sorts of things that we didn't have at that time, and the costs are just horrendous. So where Medicare was only supposed to just pay for the cost, it's now driving, and I, I mean, the hospitals do everything they do based on what Medicare tells them. The EMR systems are based that, on that's a fact. what is Medicare going to do. I mean, that's yes, right. I've been to a couple, uh, I guess, EMR classes or whatever you want to call it, where everything about the EMR was based on how will you get reimbursed and cover yourself from Medicare? Because everybody's afraid of Medicare in the system. They're like the IRS to the general populace. 
right. We, everybody's afraid of Medicare calling them up and saying, hey, we want our money back or hey, this or hey, that. And where you're up for potential criminal charges simply because you were taking care of a patient. So I think until we actually, again, get the federal government back into the corral it belongs in and deal with Medicare and JACO, we're not going to see a big change in how things go with how medicine in general is provided unless all the doctors get together. But kind of as you were alluding to earlier, we have a whole lot of doctors out there. In fact, my wife is also a physician. You know, we've talked about this for several years of there's a lot of MDs and DOs practicing, but there's very, very few physicians anymore. And the, the difference there is one has some knowledge, but the other has wisdom and desire to do what's right. The medical schools aren't taking people who would be otherwise good physicians. I mean, I see them graduating all the time where they have some knowledge of, of protocols and repeating things, but their anatomy is horrible. Their physiology is worse. And so they can't think of anything of what to do for a patient, like a general historical physician would know what to do with something different that's not right out of the book. And these kids that are coming out are very right. good with knowing what's in the book, but they can't figure out what to do when the patient doesn't have exactly what the book said. Okay, so let me ask you this. Uh, do you think that this is intentional or is it just a, a flaw in the way that they are teaching them kind of by accident? What's going on with that? I think it's very intentional. I saw we, my wife and I were in medical school in 89 to 93. And I, I distinctly remember this one teacher. We were maybe we were third or fourth years. And we were in a little group, maybe 20 of us students. And she says to us, you know, you can't just provide whatever care you want to give people. I thought, well, why not? She says, well, there's limited resources. Uh, well, what does that have to do with what that person is going to try and attempt to purchase? She says, well, no, the, the limited resources, how much do the, does the government have of resources? How many MRIs are there? It's unfair that if this guy gets an MRI, that guy can't get an MRI. Says, what does fairness have to do with it? You're driving a Cadillac. I'm driving a little piece of you-know-what car. How's that different? It's what can I afford? What can I do? And the market will definitely get us to the best place for the most folks. And she was just, it was just a worldview that she had that government now is in charge of this. And it's a, medicine supposed to be socialized. So they were pressing that in the 80s. It right. just took a right. while for them to now only start to take because our daughter's actually applying to medical school right now. And it's interesting to see what the interviews are that she's getting, what those questions are and who they're looking for and what those, remember those secondary applications we had? I mean, we had questions that would lead you toward, is this person going to likely get through medical school and deal with all the hassles of medicine and do well as a physician. That's not the question she got. She was asked, asked all sorts of questions of how many times have you felt that you've been, you know, inhibited because of your race or your sex or this or that. And what are you going to do about it? But, uh, okay. How is that a question that's going to tell somebody at all, if this person's going to be a good physician or not? 
Right. I agree. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in full agreement with you, uh, Robert. I think that uh, this is very intentional. And the new medical school graduates are actually nothing more than really trained monkeys. They're being taught how to fit into socialized medicine. And it's all about following the protocol. It's nothing about medicine. So they're not taught physical diagnosis. They're not taught how to take a real thorough history and to how to do a good physical exam, focused or complete, whatever is needed to get at the diagnosis. And that is definitely a problem uh, because they're, they're really not being trained to be doctors, as you said. And then um, when they get out in the field, um, they know nothing else. And so we are being set up to uh, practice socialized medicine. It's just a fact. And, oh, sure. uh, and then, of course, we have their, uh, the full support of socialized medicine because we see it with the state medical boards who are censoring us. We see it with the, the hospital CEOs who are enforcing their protocols. And it's all about making money. You know, I mean, order the MRIs, order the CT scans, order all the tests that you can to make money for the hospitals. And you don't want to come up with a diagnosis right away. And I think that's why we're seeing a lot of physician assistants and, and other um, nurse practitioners who have limited skills. They know the basics. And that's a good thing because it will make the hospitals a lot of money. It will also break the system and that will lead to ultimately socialized medicine so that the government has control. Well, I think the physicians have ethically given up their position of that authority. And that's why we're seeing a whole lot of nurse practitioners and um, PAs that you know, I've run into several that are very intelligent, very honest, hardworking and, and, you know, good practitioners. But people still just automatically think, oh, you're the MD. Well, then you must be in charge and you know more. Well, that. I agree with you, man. It's just not the case. Before the last 20 years, physicians were supposed to know how to think things through and diagnose as opposed to just have the smarts of then what to do. I mean, certainly in surgery, we had, okay, I think this is what's going on in your abdomen, but now only over time and, and seeing a lot of patients was I able to actually get much better at who should I operate on and which surgery should I do? Where now we'll see an article come out and it'll say, okay, for, let's just say for uh, ingle hernias, 80% of the people got better with this procedure and 75 got better with procedure Y. Well, then everybody suddenly now has to do procedure X because that was the one that was 80%. Thinking, well, wait a minute. What about the people who didn't get better with that one? There's a whole nother procedure we ought to be doing, but that's not how they're thinking anymore. And it's a problem, but I don't see it changing until we docs decide. And I'm seeing that now and you're, you're seeing it that we're going to, a whole lot more of us are going to go independent, I think. Well, that may be the solution. You know, uh, it, there are very few physicians in America right now who are willing to treat COVID patients early, for example, because they fear retribution, they fear punishment, they fear loss of their reputation. And let's face it, that obviously does happen. I mean, we're experiencing this every day. But sure. those that do have the courage to remain faithful to their oath, tend, they tend to believe that 
If we can educate the public with the best scientific evidence, then we can win this propaganda war. Now, would you agree or disagree with that statement? I think we can win the propaganda war over time. Um, some of it is what we're seeing on the news, uh, McCullough and those folks being able to actually get the word out or Joe Rogan getting that word out. And others are you know, what we're seeing day of the day in our own practice where just the other day, I had a, an elderly lady come in with three masks on, just scared to death of her own shadow. And she didn't, she didn't even want to stay in the clinic because most nobody in our clinic had a mask on. But when I sat down with her and actually spent 10 minutes with her just describing, okay, here's what's going on. Here's this. These are the facts. By the end of that visit, she was a much more calmed person wasn't going to bother wearing her mask and was now not so frightened of even walking outside, which, which she was 30 minutes earlier. So some of us are going to do this one person at a time and others have been given a position from God to be able to get to thousands at a time. We just have to keep whatever our position is in this cultural war, keep working on it. Right. I agree with you. And I think that, you know, along with educating the patients on, say, the science of the mask, I mean, the best science we have, and the science of coronavirus and any other viruses that come along, I think that people need to ultimately be educated and informed on the fact that COVID-19 is really not the main issue. I mean, isn't, I don't you think there's something bigger going on with all this madness that we're seeing around? Because a lot of people call it crazy, but um, I would actually call it intentional uh, conspiracy or takedown, not a conspiracy theory, but actual a plan, uh, an evil plan to use medicine to accomplish something much bigger. Sure. I, I mean, conspiracy theory is a term that I guess had a little mud thrown on it, but everything, everything in science starts off as a hypothesis, works its way eventually to a theory when you've got some support for it. And then if we never figure out anything against it, we call it a law, right? We have a, a theory of relativity, but conspiracies happen. I mean, everything that we do is somewhat a conspiracy. I'm going to conspire to go, uh, you know, win this game. I'm going to conspire with seven or eight of us to go form a company and together go do something of what the company's laid out to do. I don't know why conspiracy has got such a negative connotation these days but certainly that there's no way with what we've now seen of the paperwork coming out that Rand Paul is somewhat forced I guess finally to see of what all was going on with the emails between Fauci and those folks where clearly there's some hiding going on they they have in order to be doing that of what Fauci's been doing and hiding all that and and backtracking he has to have a team of folks and a purpose for that that's beyond what he's telling us and clearly we all saw that with these hospitals now from our side of i mean why is why are you getting thrown on a ventilator when your o2 sats at 94 still exactly uh, it's i mean just these things that make no clinical sense whatsoever 
So right. And and I think people are figuring that out because I've had so many people even calling me um, and I'm no longer actively practicing medicine at the moment. But you're right. There's so many people that are caught in that web and um, it's been devastating. It, it's intentional and it is actually accomplishing some pretty severe things uh, with patients. Uh, there, a lot of people are claiming this is a genocide and there sure seems to be a lot of evidence for it. So right. where are we yeah. going with this? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, people one last say thing. That, that Kennedy had, you know, there's a conspiracy theory on Kennedy. Well, you know, he did get shot. Yes, he did. You know, in these, in the administrative courts, the, uh, for example, the, the medical boards act as the judge, and they are le legitimately called uh, the judge. They are acting on, an, on behalf of the judge. They are also the jury and the prosecutor. And we have no say in that. And I did find that to be very, very true. We have no recourse because the the one acting as judge, in this case, the medical boards, the state medical boards, they have zero accountability. And without that, you, obviously, they are going to become corrupt and dysfunctional, and they will do whatever they, they want to do. And that's a real problem. Yes, we had a lot of trouble here in Texas 15, 20 years ago, where the board chieftain was essentially using her position to go against the other specialists of her i won't say who that was but her other specialists in her area to have them put up on charges essentially so she could gain market share for her practice sure sure and that and that's become the norm for any doctor that does not fit the narrative and that i find to be very disgusting well listen we're going to take a short break here and we will be back in one moment It's time to rethink COVID disinfection. A study by Harvard, Drexel, and Virginia Tech concluded, we don't have a single documented case of COVID transmission through surfaces. The reality is that COVID spreads mainly through the air. Shared air is the problem, not shared surfaces. The solution is the Genesis Fogger, which uses natural HOCL to disinfect both air and surfaces simultaneously. It's perfect for home or business. NIH says HOCL may well be the disinfectant of choice for coronaviruses. There's nothing more natural or more effective. Genesis fogs at the precise particle size to combat COVID and other harmful pathogens. It's what's missing from your disinfecting protocol. Visit genesisfogger.com. America Out Loud listeners receive a 15% discount with promo code OUTLOUD at genesisfogger.com slash OUTLOUD. Each of us is born with 30 trillion cells that make us. These cells determine how we feel, perform, sleep, focus, and how long we live. And to live our best life, all we have to do is feed our cells. But most food and supplements don't reach our cells, keeping us from reaching our full potential. Make every cell count with Healthy Cell. Founded with a mission to empower people to take control of their own health at the most fundamental level, Dr. Vincent Jampapa, world-renowned cell researcher and medical doctor, created supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, 
focus deeper, and stay younger longer. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. And that's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L. And use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Well, welcome back. You are listening to Dr. Steve LaTulip on Unity Without Compromise. And my guest uh, today, Dr. Robert Lowry. Bob is a medical doctor, he's an author, and he is running for Congress in the Texas 21st District. And you can support him, by the way, by going to votelowry.com. And I would encourage you to do that. Uh, This show does air on Saturdays and Sunday at 12 and 5 p.m. Eastern Time. It then goes to podcasts, so I'd welcome you to Uh, Listen to that whenever you can and share it as much as possible. We are striving to do good things uh, on this program, and one of those good things is actually saving America. Uh, Now, getting back to it, Robert, I'd like to shift gears a little bit. Now, in your book, which I thought was absolutely fantastic, um, as I was reading through that, I, I, I noticed a quote in Chapter 19, you quote Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. at the beginning of the chapter, and he, he says, this is a court of law, young man, not a court of justice. Uh, so when it comes to court hearings, I, I found personally and specifically in my case against the corrupt Oregon America board that there is a huge distinction between what I would call legality and justice. And the focus in American courts now seems to me to be all about procedure and not just about a, a, not about a just outcome. You know, I, I might be naive. Maybe that's the way it's always been. But doesn't it seem like an oxymoron that the Department of Justice has little or no interest in seeking justice, but it buries itself rather in the details of legal procedure? Yes, we've become like in the Bible in Christ's day a legalistic society rather than a lawful society. And, you know, Christ always is going after the Pharisees about how they were making rules for the people there that were off base of what the, the, the actual you know, Mosaic law was that was given to them. And essentially now they're making them or they were making themselves laws in order to prevent even coming close to what breaking the actual true law. And it became that they were now watching all these other laws and not the purpose of the original law in the first place. And I would argue that's exactly what we've done here in the United States. We no longer see the law, but we see the legalism. Yeah, it appears, you know, that the greatest manipulator of of words actually will win in court. So a victim of a crime is then actually doubly attacked uh, in, or someone who's being charged with a crime, I should say. And I don't know, how can, how can we overcome this? How can we um, hold the courts accountable uh, to, to produce a just outcome? Is that a possibility at all? I mean, we're dependent on attorneys. If we represent ourselves, we're grossly handicapped, right? Because we don't know all the details. Uh, we don't know the language uh, that is used in, in the legal jargon. And so, I mean, I, it seems like an impossibility to win in, in a, an American court of law. Well, I agree in part there. I agree with certainly where you're going, which is 
it's a crapshoot is what you're saying of who got the best attorney, who had the capability of fighting whoever they were up against. And if you don't have the best attorney and certainly a whole lot of money, you're not going to win. You're not going to get your day in court. You're not going to get a fair, uh, let's say, trial because you're... The, the game isn't set up for that. The game is set up for, as you mentioned, who can make the better argument in front of either A, the judge, or B, the jury. But again, it still comes down to who are we as a people. We have a jury trial system for the most part in parts of our courts. And if we're a people who believe in God, believe in our rights, understand our rights, understand the difference between lawful and legal, we would see through the corruption of it and bring ourselves back to where we need to be and have courts that work. But again, I don't see that happening until we as an American people get back to our principles, those Judeo-Christian principles, and actually live by them and, and honor them, not just at church, but in everything we do. Right. So, as a nation. Can you, mm -hmm. you, you know, you mentioned that also in your book you, and you just stated that there's a distinction between lawful versus legal. And I found that to be very intriguing. Can you just summarize the distinction? Sure. So um, everybody has a worldview. And so in our society, our society was based on a social contract that sat on a worldview principled in the Judeo-Christian ethos. So we actually have law that comes to us from God, a, a transcendent authority above man. We then are supposed to be setting up a legal system which abides by those laws, that lawfulness. So the, the law comes to us. We don't create it, but we have a legal system and acts and, and uh be it at the, the city level, the county level, the state level, the federal level, which are supposed to effectuate those laws from God so that we act that way and we have a, a society that operates that way. If though we shift away from that and now look to the legalism and to what is legal becomes what defines the law, we can then essentially corrupt the law by changing what we're seeing is the originator of the law. For example, we have murder is wrong. We get that from God. But unless we set up a legal system that actually states, okay, if you do X, Y, or Z, that is going to be considered murder versus if this other thing, you go to war and shoot somebody, that's not considered murder. It's considered killing. There's a difference there. What we're doing, though, is we're starting to look to the legal act, the actual law that's put out by the legislature, as the definer now of what the true law is. We're going to make marriage. We did that recently here in the United States. Well, we changed the terminology of what marriage is simply because we want, uh, as a people, enough of our legislators said, we're going to change the definition. Well, by changing the definition of marriage that was already set in place into these other laws that we had, we have now effectively changed the true law. 
Well, that makes sense. And I certainly see it happen, happening. And I suppose we, you could say the same thing happened with the, the issue of abortion. I mean, by definition, murder is the snuffing of an innocent human life. And that's exactly what happens with a child in the womb. The womb is actually the most dangerous place to live in the world um, based on the abortion statistics. So um, if we allow that to be legal, then uh, we have forgotten all about laws. And when you talk about laws of God, I think that is critically important to understand that we must have that standard from God, uh, because otherwise we are forever subject to the whim of man. And that always leads to death and destruction <laughs> simply because of the nature of man, right? Uh, what I don't understand, and partly why I'm running right now, is why do we not put within our legal system the recognition of God's law that said life starts in the womb? And if life starts in the womb, if we recognize that, then automatically we can't have anything to do with having abortion be legitimate in the United States. And we wouldn't have to have 5 million laws for it. It would just be a fact because the purpose of government, at least within the United States in our social contract, is to secure our individual rights. Those ones from God that we mentioned or that are mentioned of in the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. Right. And, and you know, we do have the laws of God already written in our constitution. <clears throat> and when it comes to actually um, talking about the issue of abortion, you said that uh, if life begins at conception, if we accepted that, well, you know, that would actually require following the science, as they've been saying, because the science clearly shows that you have a human life when an egg and a sperm come together to form the zygote. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a fact and it is scientifically evident. And of course, we, we sometimes tend to forget that the laws of physics, the laws of human nature and the laws of nature itself, uh, the rules of the universe in, include science. And that all comes from God. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting concept about law, lawful versus legal. Uh, you know, clearly, as the American empire is rapidly declining, we have found a crisis of loyalty in the hearts of most people, as you said in the beginning, Dr. Lowry, and that crisis now threatens the very existence of our nation. Some would say, for example, that Americans are now more loyal to their comfort and to their freedom uh, and to keeping the peace at all costs and to bending or compromising values to align with the authority of government rather than to obeying God over man. If this is actually the case, then what fate will America face in the near future? Uh, do you think everything's just going to work itself out or will we soon be subject to those whims of a national or even a world dictator? Where do you think we're going? I think if we don't come back to our first love, we are going to go down that other road. And likely before it gets to, before we get to an actual one world government, I think God will step in just like he did in the Old Testament many times. And well, we're not going to like the, we're not going to like what he does, but there'll be a remnant that survives it and moves on and starts going down the right road again. Well, there's, there's always been a remnant. And yes, I agree. God promises there always will those who will remain faithful. Uh, but it's not going to be an easy time for us. You know, oh, I've, no. stated, I, I've actually stated many times um, on this show, my belief that America became a great nation because the majority 
of Americans, not all of them, but the majority live their lives, at least in general terms, according to the standard of the Bible. And the Bible inspired so many of our founders and great leaders. And when we found, we see scripture verses written all over the place in DC. We see these principles being proclaimed throughout all the great writings uh, in the history of America. And what do we find now? We find ourselves in a post-Christian era and that's got to have some negative impact on our country. Let me ask you this, Dr. Lowry. Do you think that this nation can survive if we do not get back to those biblical roots? We won't survive as the nation we want to be, that's for sure. I tell young folks all the time when they show me their constitution, they're trying to read it and that we need to follow it. I said, okay, well, you realize you can hand that constitution to Putin or any other dictator, and they'll run a government based on that. It's, you have to interpret it and live your life still on the principles of that Judeo-Christian understanding in order for that constitution to work right. Think of the constitution as the framework of a building that you've got, but without a, an appropriate foundation, that building's gonna crumble. And Samuel Adams said, uh, how do you put it? A general dissolution of principles and manners will more surely overthrow the liberties of America than the whole force of the common enemy. And he's right. If we aren't true to ourselves, we're, we'll still be called America probably, but we're not going to be anything like what was set up for justice. No, we won't. We will never again, if we fail uh, in this experiment, um, of our free republic, we will never again be one nation under God. And that's what scares me uh, the most, if anything. I think that there's a lot of good patriots out there, a lot of good Americans who enjoy their freedom and who say that they want uh, the pursuit of, of life, liberty, and, and happiness and all that. But when it comes to taking the stand that we must for freedom, I think that's where a lot of people actually draw the line and that will have to change. And the only way I see that really changing is that the persecution has to get worse. And all, look at what we've seen in the last two years. It is continuing to escalate. This coup in progress is getting worse and worse and oppression uh, is growing every day, very subtly, very slowly, but it is happening. I have to agree with you, unfortunately, that, that that's going to be the case. I remember a few years back when a, a bunch of us in our Bible class were talking about this, and I spoke up and I said, well, if you can't bring up your faith at work and, and live your faith at work, why don't you leave? And I was looked at like I was crazy. And I said, well, you can't do that because then you know, we'll lose our jobs. I said, well, okay, so let's think about this. If everybody around San Antonio, who's a Christian, actually said, okay, you know what, I'm not going to work for you then, if this is how things are going to be, no employer would have any employees. So why don't we speak up and stand up? And so I was saying in our Bible class a few years back, when I guess it was probably, well, a little longer than that, but we were concerned that people weren't allowed to bring their Christian faith to their workplace. 
and I don't mean having to go Bible thump on folks, but I mean just being Christian, letting people know you're Christian at, in your workplace. And I spoke up and I said, well, we're supposed to be there in season and out of season and be able to do these things and be a light to the whole world, wherever it is we are. And so if your employer doesn't want you to be Christian at work, then you need to go find another employer. Why don't you just quit? And they looked at me and said, well, you know, that's easy for you to say as a doctor, maybe you can go do that, but we can't because we need our jobs. So, so you're telling me your job is more important than where your soul's going. And I spoke up further and stated, you know, if every Christian around San Antonio actually just said, I'm going to be a Christian at work, or you can fire me. Well, then if all these employers decide they're going to fire the Christians, there won't be any employees left because supposedly most everybody around here, 80, 85% are Christians. So why don't we stand up for our faith? And again, I was told, well, it's easy for you to do as a doctor. Well, it wasn't easy. I mean, when I left kind of big medicine and just said, I'm just going to work on my own, it took a couple of years to, let's say, recover. But I am so blessed now because of it. And it did suck for a couple of years financially, but it was a huge blessing. And now, well, when COVID hit, I was certainly free then. I didn't have people above me telling me what I can prescribe or not. And I was just free to go be who I needed to be as the physician to the people around my community. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with you. There is a cost uh, for um, sustaining freedom and we have to be willing to pay that cost. And there is a cost to Christian discipleship. And we like to talk about it once in a while fashionably, but when it comes to actually living it, it is too much for a lot of people. But like I said, as the persecution gets worse, maybe people will be more willing to take a stand. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today, Dr. Lowry. And I am so greatly appreciative of uh, all that you've said, your insights, your honesty, and your boldness to speak the truth plainly. Uh, for all you listeners, you can contact Dr. Robert Lowry through the Lowry Clinic, L-O-W-R-Y Clinic at gmail.com. That's Lowry Clinic at gmail.com. And please do support his run for Congress. You can uh, support him at votelowry.com, V-O-T-E-L-O-W-R-Y.com. And please do check out his book, Recovering American Liberty, Recovering the Principles of Just Government. That book can be found at the America Out Loud bookstore, at Amazon, and Barnes & Noble, I believe, um, and uh, anywhere else you can find it. Well, we certainly do live in a world of imperfect people, and that includes Christians and patriots and every single last one of us. And there's not a one of us who walks on water unless the water is frozen. Uh, due to our tendency, though, to turn evil because of pride, uh, greed, lust for power and control, man does require some form of government to regulate itself. But all governments are made up of people, and for that very reason, we must keep it as small as possible. Our founders did understand this principle all too well. They knew firsthand the darkness that resides in the heart of a man who doesn't know and respect God. 
Fortunately for America, those first leaders of our nation did appeal to the one true God of this universe for wisdom and counsel. They regarded the Bible as the standard for a free nation, and they knew full well that a nation with liberty and justice for all is completely dependent upon the wisdom of our creator as expressed in the Bible. And this is the message, if any, that I want broadcasted on this show every time I come on. If you claim to be a patriot and you do not recognize this fact, then I have to say that you are a weak patriot at best. On the other hand, if you are a weak Christian and claim to be a patriot, then you are likely to be the weakest of all patriots. We have to live by the words that we affirm to be true. Otherwise, hypocrisy betrays our cause and does us much harm. On the other hand, if we are uh, not united as one, uh, then the world sees our division and wants no part of it. And so for this reason, Jesus actually prayed in that great prayer, the real Lord's prayer in John chapter 17, that we might all be one and that the world may believe. And those were some of his last words before going to the cross. They must have been very, very important words, and we would do well to give heed to them. Well, the Ponzi scheme of the pandemic response has stolen the souls of all but a very few American doctors, and the same corrupt globalist agenda now seeks to destroy your soul as well. Please do recognize that. And so they scare you, they confuse you, they trick you into forfeiting your God-given rights so cunningly and so subtly that you might even not recognize it, and you might even thank them for it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21 and 22, we are told, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. May we do so in the course of our daily lives. Well, be blessed, be faithful, do not fear a little persecution. You've been listening to Dr. Steve Latulip on unity without compromise. May God restore America to being once again a beacon of his light to the world. Adieu.